Throughout the history of boxing, there have always been parts of the world where the sport transcends its very roots. Places where it galvanises not only a country or a city, but almost forges a national identity. Creates a unified sense of pride that's exhibited, carried and worn by its top prize fighters. It can and has been said that nowhere embodies this spirit more than the titanic city of Belfast. Rinty Monaghan was born in 1918 to a large working class North Belfast family. His dad was a navy man and a keen boxer. It was he who taught the young Rinty and his brothers to box. His mum loved music, she loved singing and they adored the Irish ballads and the songs that Rinty learned at this time of his life he sang in boxing rings and arenas all the way around the world. When the fight was over he said can you sing? And I said, yes. And I sang a song called Sally. That was Gracie Fiend's song. And after that, I sung Irish Eyes a Smiley. It was Rinty's grandmother that gave him his nickname. As well as boxing, his other great love was dogs. He often brought home strays, injured, hurt or hungry. So she named him after the well-known TV show, Rin Tin Tin. I was way back when I was very young. I used to win a lot of races. On the street, we used to play a game called uh, Cut the Cheese. I don't know what it means, but it was Cut the Cheese. And uh, my grandmother was out calling me one day, and she called me Rin Tin Tin. Well, I used to be very fond of a dog called Rin Tin Tin that was a film star dog at that time. And then another day, she was in a very bad temper, and uh, she was calling on me, and I didn't answer her. And all of a sudden, she just let a yell out of him and said, Rinty, come here. He went to school in the local St. Patrick's Christian Brothers and quickly began to exhibit fighting skills where he won competitions organised in street contests. Often the prizes were no more than fish and chip supper. It was a simple, happy childhood. They didn't have much, but they didn't need much. Well, I used to climb a lot of buildings and... Uh, any time we played football and the ball was lost up on the roof, I was up the spouting and inside about two or three minutes and down again. His boxing abilities were so evident, so early, he soon found himself joining the pro ranks aged just 14. Yes, you heard me correct. 14 years of age. Let's put a little bit of context on that. Young guys and girls today at the age of 14 might be playing a bit of football, might be playing a bit of a hurling camogie, maybe some might be doing a bit of boxing. Sadly, during lockdown, the large majority of them have been on TikTok, Xbox, PlayStation and other such gaming. But similarly, people of the 1940s endured long lockdowns. Of course, it's referred to often as the decade of want, as many young Irish, British and Northern Irish men fought and died side by side against a common foe. Of course, World War II, known in Ireland at the time as the emergency. And amidst horrendous bombings in Belfast, blackouts, rations, people still survived and they still managed to entertain themselves with the most simple of pastimes. Families would often huddle around a radio or a gramophone, listen to some music, listen for updates. It was common for the girls to knit, to darn, to crochet, whilst some of the menfolk could be seen to relax with a cigarette. Children, of course, could play board games or cards, 
and the one thing that wasn't rationed that many turned to and enjoyed in copious amounts beer Winston Churchill was of course the Prime Minister of Great Britain at the time Ireland was under the rule in those years of Douglas Hyde and later on then Sean T. O'Kelly and a 1940s one pound sterling is worth today 56 pounds while the currency down south was shillings and pounds at the time and if you have a pound from 1940 equates to 60 euros today Rindy was Northern Ireland champion he was Irish champion he was British champion he was Empire champion he was European champion and he was undisputed undefeated world flyweight champion Eamon McCauley former standout amateur and professional fighter in his own right and nephew of Rinty Monaghan. It was he who spearheaded the project to get the statue erected in Belfast in memory of Rinty and it was he who I spoke with at length. The editor of the prestigious Ring magazine crossed the Atlantic to present Rinty with the Ring magazine World Championship belt. Initially, those early fights may have just been street contests and the most at stake was the fish and chip supper where he could take back to his family, to his mum, to his parents and enjoy the spoils of victory. And from all that they can find and learn about Rinty Monaghan, he was at his happiest when he was in his hometown of Belfast, around his own people, who he grew up with, who he knew and loved. As he progressed, and as the skill became very apparent, the fights increased, training increased, and of course so too did the purses increase. He would often be seen running along the cave hill after work in the docks, and he would train in Harding Street Gym, which was believed to be a, almost a tumble down. But those early days of his competitive professional career were spent fighting mostly if not all out of a place called Ma Copley's and for anybody not aware not familiar with Belfast behind Chapel Fields in the market area of Belfast many rumours and stories in the years since suggest that Ma Copley's was an unlicensed venue where there was bare knuckle boxing and everything else and not true not true Ma Copley in fact was Kira Copley born from a circus family and lived in her own Romany caravan. She set up her own boxing booth early days, and later years, as it became more successful, had a wooden hall. In the 1930s, when there was little or no work for young men around Belfast and Ireland in general, many came who were willing to fight and an attempt and a hope of winning prize money. And Rinty was only one of a number of fighters who began their careers at Mark Hopley's, but went on to enjoy hugely successful boxing careers, Names like Bunty Dorn, Tommy Armour, Jimmy Warnock all began in this quaint little market venue known as Ma Copley's. And many years later, when Rinty retired, finished and was able to look back with fond memories on his career, he was asked about those early days and indeed his debut fight. My first fight, I was taken out of a, of a, of a line of men going in to see a fight in the boxing arena. And the gentleman asked me to come in and sing. When he got me inside, he took me through the dressing rooms and there was a little boy all dressed up. He had lovely shiny hair and everything. And the matchmaker said, do you think you could fight that boy? And I said, yes. So they put the two of us into the ring. But before they put me in the ring, they had trouble finding pants. And they got a big long pair of bloomers. I would say they were blue. And they were so long they were coming down below my knees. So he pulled them away up and put a tie right round the waist, tied it up. I went up to the ring, we fought for three one-minute rounds. And the boy I fought was a lad called Pimple McKee. The fight was a draw, we never hit each other, we just jumped around the ring, and when the fight was over, 
He said, can you sing? And I said, yes. And I sang a song called Sally. That was Gritty Fields' song. And after that, I sang Irish Eyes and Smiley. And then I got paid. There was money thrown into the ring. And we were all delighted to see the money. So Rinty was off to a winning start. Delighted with himself to be able to fight. And, of course, sing to his beloved audience. Took his winnings home to his mum. But perhaps got a little bit of a different welcome than he may have been expecting. So I get some money, goes round to mum, and says, Mum, look. My mother looked at the money and she said, where did you steal the money from? Really, your father hears that. As she said that, my father came up the hallway, and he says, what do you mean? What, what's, what's, what? John got money. He said he was fighting around the corner. And he says, oh, what? And he hit me twice. Knocked me in the corner, and I had to kick me round to the ear, round to the ILP hall. So he took me in and he said, are you the boxing promoter, Mr. Gilmore? Oh, yes, sure. Mr. Monocle, is that your boy? Yes. Very good. He was fighting here tonight, and he was singing as well. I said to Father, well, I told you, didn't I? I didn't get saved the rest. He just hit me another sh- <laughs> So many lovely phrases. We use of words that we, we, we just don't hear anymore. And as I record this, I find myself putting myself in his shoes and trying to imagine and wonder, could he ever have seen what was going to come down the line for him? Could he ever have seen what he was about to put in place? A legacy that would be remembered all these years later. A legacy that only grows and is enhanced when you remember he had no amateur career or training. Incredible. Most of our current prize fighters today come through to the pros with extensive amateur backgrounds. Incredible amateur backgrounds. Laden with trophies and titles and learning the fundamentals that will carry them through until they hang the gloves up. How is it possible? How was it possible? Who knows? When you look at his record, his first 20 fights, 13 wins, 1 loss and 6 draws in a period of time between 1932 and 1937. That loss came to Jim Kerry, but when you look at the draws, and bear in mind, this was him learning on the job. This was him learning his trade. 20 fights inside 5 years? We get fighters today retired who don't even have 20 fights. His next 20 fights, he'd 18 wins, 2 losses and no draws. So maybe you're kind of seeing him now comfortable, familiar and stepping up to competition. And this, at this stage, is where he began his rivalry with Jack Patterson. Losing that very first fight with him, but no doubt was always in his mind, always intending to get it back eventually. Now we might be forgiven for thinking flyweights, small guys, don't hit that hard, wouldn't be that much duress or stress on the body. But when you look at his record, he had 19 knockouts. And here he is talking about trouble he had with his hands. This hand, I pickled it. I tried to get a new hand, but it was impossible. I pickled it. And it just kept strong. It never annoys me now. I feel fine with it. When I took up professional, I gave up working. So I went up to Cave Hill in the mornings. I came down the docks where I am now in the afternoon. The sound quality, the grainy sound. you got to remember these are coming from way back in the 1940s and 50s. I have done a certain amount of clean-up on them, but if I do too much, it uh, takes away from the quality and you won't be able to hear it as clear as possible. So that as well as when we head into this third phase of, of um, Rinty's career, you got to remember there's a break in there for wartime service and his biggest and best and most poignant wins in his career all come in this phase against seasoned and sitting champions, the likes of Paddy Ryan, the likes of Joe Curran, the likes of 
Jackie Patterson, who of course he had that ongoing rivalry with, and you'll hear him speak about in a few minutes, and probably his greatest wins, the likes of Terry Allen and Dado Marino, where he lost one, got it back straight away a little over three months later. When you transport yourself back to those times, to what he meant to those people, who at that time were a divided people, don't forget. Not just by war, but of course by the troubles that blighted the country and what long after, until long after Renty's death. Eamon is going to give you a little bit of a background on that and we're going to have a look and a listen to some of his biggest fights. Now, all I can do is advise you at this stage, if you get a chance and if you want while you're listening, maybe have a look on YouTube. I'll put some links in the notes today. Done his bit during the war. He entertained Fernanda along with George Formby and Gracie Fields. His mother and father were mixed religion. His mother, Martha Wilson, uh, was a Protestant from the Shankill Road. And his father, Thomas Ta, he was the seventh son of a seventh son. Now, all that is known to me. It's not even in the book. Both boxers watching each other carefully. And Patterson misses with the left hook. And Monaghan counters with a beautiful right to the jaw. And down goes the defending champion and he's in trouble. He appeals to referee Tommy Lighter for some infraction that he claims Monaghan is guilty of. Referee ignores the appeal, continues the count. Monaghan in his anxiety to get in the finishing punch nearly knocks referee Tommy Lytle out of the ring and crowds into the attack. Thomas Patterson around the ring, Patterson on his bicycle again, backing away with Monaghan on the attack. And in his anxiety to put the finishing touches to the defending champion is a bit wild. And encouraged for the fact that he's almost reached the halfway mark, Patterson is off his stool quicker for this round than any preseason. And they spin each other around on the far side, the referee Tommy Lytle moving in closely as ever, watching for any infractions that may occur. Over the ropes and the right to the body, and down goes Patterson, and he's in trouble. Patterson's going to beat the count. He just manages to get up on the count of nine. He staggers to his feet. He's in trouble. Monaghan rushes in for the kill. He measures his man carefully. Fumbles him about the head and body to the ropes. Vicious right hook to the jaw. Now an uppercut. Now a left and a right uppercut to the body. And Patterson gets set to go down with a right to the jaw. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and out. And there's a new world's flyweight title holder, Rinty Monaghan of Belfast. I've had more arguments about that fight with Jackie. He was he was a ghost. He was dead. He was all this. He hit me in the sixth round, and there's a, I'm not sure why the lump's still there. There was a lump in my head the next day and the day after. And uh, Jackie, Jackie was a grand puncher, smashing puncher. Have you had a caught you coming in, it was all over. But what he'd done, and I think he'd done, he trained too much in such a short time. He put six weeks training into two weeks training and actually took a lot out of himself. Well, it was all to my benefit. The night I beat Jackie Patterson, I can remember that, because I was knocked out when I got into the house. They were handing me in. There was a lot of people. There was crowds of people, stacks of them. And they just lifted me up to put me inside the door, and someone... Good old Renty, and before you could say Jack Robinson, ah, I was so, out. So you yeah. were KO'd? Yeah, I was KO'd. Well, you may say that, but uh, my old friend, uh, when I woke up, I was in bed, and one of the best welterweights I think this country ever had was there massaging me and helped me around, Tommy Armour. Oh, yes. Indeed. He was in the bedroom with me. I surprised him because Tommy come away from uh, the top of the shackle. So it comes to round nine. They're both going at it hammer and tongs when referee Master Young suddenly stops the bout. Monaghan is disqualified for holding. A not very impressive Marino, his left eye closed up, is the winner. But for fighting so well at a few hours' notice, Rinty Monaghan took all the credit back to Belfast. And what I find astounding when you think about it and look at it and consider everything that was in play at that time, the two years at the end of his career, he put together the best run of his career beating the absolute cream of the crop. Dropping a couple of results here and there, 
but in true Rinty style never drop on his head, smiling, entertaining and winning the hearts and minds of the world. The two fights that secured his legacy and cemented him in history forevermore were of course against veteran, tough Scotsman Dado Moreno. The first one a very peculiar draw, again footage attached below, there's no doubt about the second one. And just have a little bit of a listen, close the eyes, try and soak it up if you can. And imagine, and remember, 37 years ago today this man passed away, after a career that could and should be a Hollywood script. The end of the 14th round and there's just one more to go. It seemed that the two fighters have been saving everything for the last one. Goes down from a left and right cross, but he's up in a flash. The referee has no hesitation in raising Monaghan's hand as the winner, much to the delight of the Irish fans present, and there were thousands of. And following that win over Moreno in 1947, he went on to have a handful of other fights, beating Jackie Patterson, losing to Terry Allen, a couple of other wins, and in the penultimate fight of his career, the very last one. He drew with Terry Allen in the King's Hall in Belfast for the European title. And that was all she wrote. The curtain came down on a career that read 52 wins, 9 losses and 8 draws. Remarkably, he remained in, in good health, in fine health, where he continued to train and help the young fighters coming behind him. You would understand and almost forgive him for struggling with retirement. No, didn't happen. Any money I made, I made 20-odd thousand pounds. It all went away through being too generous and income tax. But I'm still happy. My health's good and I can help some of the boys today that's coming up. I have great knowledge of boxing here, very fresh. But I did love working. I love driving trucks. I used to drive to Waterford, a big Lyland Super, 20-ton of waste paper going to the national board and Waterford. And I used to sing on the way. From where I'm standing, almost a lifetime later, a couple of lifetimes later, it seems to me Rinty Monahan was happy when other people were happy. He took absolute maximum joy and happiness out of life, and he lived every day as if it were his last. I remember he came up in 1980 or 81 to my Uncle Sean's club in Ligonil. All he charged was a packet of cigarettes. And this was a legend, like Rinty was a legend. In the interval between the fights, he jumped into the ring. He started doing his Popeye and olive oil impressions. He uh, started singing, he played the harmonica. He brought the house down. The problem was getting him back out of the ring to let the fights resume. And there's just so many ways to praise, highlight, celebrate the achievements of Rinty Monaghan. The only thing hindsight allows us to do allows us to look at his legacy see what he's left and see the inspiration that he's left for the fighters of today and tomorrow and the day after that. I might have mentioned earlier on in this episode Kerry footballers have won 37 All-Irelands Kilkenny hurlers have won 36 Kerry had to win that very first one back in 1903 Kilkenny indeed in 1904 so it all has to start from somewhere and for me looking back at it now and being able to join the dots and plot the course the massive amount of success that Belfast boxing and boxers have brought back to that incredible place over the last few years over, over a lifetime all started with that one win in a world title fight by Rinty Monaghan in 1947 and just while we're talking legacy 
and contribution and paving the way, than one of the fellas who helped kickstart Irish boxing wake it from its slumber and again start the rise back to the very top of the boxing charts, whether it's amateur or professional. Here's Wayne McCullough. I knew the impact he had in Belfast, both sides of the room, back, especially back, but he brought people together, still the Kings Hall, it was holding about 11 or 12,000. I was the old school when they had no fire coach, you remember? I think the Kings Hall was cut to about 7,000 when they did the fire coach, but he could, he could fill that arena capacity, you know, everybody loved him. Ridley was really one of the first, probably the boxer to do that, to be a world, champ- to be a world champion back then when he was, you got to take into consideration. It was like eight, eight weight, weight class and only one, one which was the NBA, which later became the WBA in the 60s. 52 wins, 9 losses, 8 draws. At the, at the world level, his arch rivals were was Marino, Allen and Patterson. You know, they were the three, the three ones that sort of defined his career, I think, because they all became world champions after he... In 19 knockouts, not, not that he was a big puncher, but he could, he could hit you pretty hard. Five foot three or something, he was he's smaller than me. I'll be talking about the Hall of Fame. Rinty was the type of guy, he never boasted about himself, he never had to. When you talk about the Hall of Fame, Rinty Manigan, come on, he should have been in long ago. There was one champion, one champion. NBA, he was the champion. And you know what? Back then it was so hard. You know, the Rinty Manigan should, be, should have been in the Hall of Fame long time ago. Long time ago. That's a conversation I've been having with him in the last couple of days. Every year... Hall of Fame inductees are announced. There are a number of posthumous names added to the list. So why not? Maybe we got to get ourselves a campaign going. Feel free to get in touch. We'll start it. We'll get the ball rolling, however long it takes. Because surely there can't be too many, if any, more deserving. And just before I wrap it all up, here's a word from well-known, well-respected Belfast journalist Nicky Fullerton. He won the Commonwealth, the British and the world title. So he went on to all set their sights on trying to be the same as a character who appealed to everybody in the north of Ireland and Ireland in general. To this day in Belfast, people still talk about him very highly and have a great regard for him and what a character and a personality he was. People have remembered him. Even like Carl Frampton, he's 34 now, he's coming maybe to the end of his career. He's fighting for the WBO world title in Dubai in April, so he's still going well. You have Michael Conlon, you have Tommy McCarthy, you have James Tennyson, recently you have Ryan Burnett as well, who had sadly had to retire, so boxing in Belfast is booming at the minute, you know, and I think guys like Ridley maybe started that love of boxing off to get the young kids in the amateur clubs around Belfast, like the holy trinities, the holy families of this world, to get the kids up and running, to get them involved in boxing, and they would try to match what he had done. Their dream is to become a world champion, but very few actually hit that those heights. Guys like Renty and Carl and Wayne McCulloch and Barry McGregor, they, they give the guys the inspiration to maybe go and do it. Right down Belfast, you go to, say, the SSE Arena or the King's Hall, as well as the Ulster Hall, the atmosphere is always electric. I remember Martin Lindsay fighting in the Ulster Hall a few years ago, and the atmosphere was something else. And when Frampton fights at the Odyssey, as it was then, the atmosphere was electric. But I think up in Belfast, we, we like fighting, to be honest, so... I think we've got a wee bit of aggressive tendency about us all, so we just, we just love a good scrap. Thanks, Nicky. Thanks to Wayne. Thanks to Eamon. And I want to give a special thanks, and a special note as well. Wait till you hear this. When I decided to go ahead with this episode, I was looking for an instrumental piece of I'm an Irish Eyes are Smiling. Didn't want the typical piano or the lift music 
I went looking for a piece of classic guitar. I found a phenomenal female guitarist over in America by the name of Gretchen Men. An absolute genius on the guitar. And as it, cha- as it just happened, she had recorded a very special piece for her sponsor and mentor by the name of Ernest Ball, whose grandfather wrote the song. How about that for a coincidence? just so happened so thank you Gretchen for for allowing me to use the piece of music links in, are in below for, for her music and I want to wrap up by just saying thanks to everybody that's helped these things can be they can be daunting they can be overawing at times as well but I have to say the way I like to do it is when, when I'm when I'm researching I kind of get lost in it I kind of engross myself in it I get wrapped around it I want to listen to and watch as much of the subject as I can. And I'm absolutely blown away by Rinty Monahan. Genuinely. Not just saying it because it's a tribute. I'm not, I don't need to do that. His, his record stands on its own. It doesn't need embellishing. He's a character who you just would love to meet. Any day, every day, all day. He's... When you see the videos and you see the footage of him being interviewed. He's alive. He's engaged with the interviewer. He's happy. His eyes are on. His eyes are so bright and sparkling. He's a breath of fresh air. And when you think about the troubles they had, they had the war, they had the lockdowns, they had the dark days. They had days that were darker than night. They came through them. They got through them. Not only did they get through them, they thrived when they got through to the other side. So let that just be a takeaway from today. A little shorter episode. It's a little bit different. I hope I was able to do the man some justice. Last, but absolutely not least, you want to win yourself a brand new Rinty Monaghan t-shirt. The first, one of the first off the line in the Rinty Monaghan line of casual wear, leisure wear by my pal Ross and Violent Gentleman. Get on it. When this link comes out, share it. Leave a little comment, like it. And you're in with a chance. We'll make a draw on Sunday night, 8, 8 o'clock, 8pm. 8 and you could be in with a chance to win it. I'm going to leave the last word to the man himself. When Irish eyes are smiling, sure it's like a morn in spring. In the lilt of Irish laughter, you can hear the angels sing. When Irish hearts are happy, all the world seems bright and gay. And when Irish eyes are smiling, sure they steal your heart away.